podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Hello, everybody. This is your producer, Seattle Who. Uh, you may have grown used to hearing Val Prohaska do this part, but Val could not be with us this week. So it is going to be me doing the hosting and joining me tonight to talk football and other disasters and then some basketball to make us all feel better is St. Lou Who. St. Lou, welcome to the show again. And uh, what's going on? Uh, it's um, trying to process a football season that took a hard left turn the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I didn't see the game. I understand you did see the game. I was following along a little bit on Twitter and the the last score that I got until Sunday morning was 20 to 20. So imagine my surprise when I woke up and logged on to Twitter and caught a whiff of what was burning in Wahoo land. Yeah, it was, um, you know, in our preview for this game, we called it a must win. I'll, I'll say I didn't write the preview this week. Um, Carl did. But, you know, I, I concurred with that sentiment that you know, that we needed to win this game for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, what does it mean to be a must-win? Obviously, that's a very nebulous term and, and not necessarily always well-defined. Um, you know, really, it's it was a game we really needed to win to have a good shot to finish this season with a winning record. Okay. And um, it's not to take away anything from Wake Forest or NC State. Um, obviously, you know, both are, are good programs, have good coaches, and Dave Deeren and, um, and Clawson um, that have won football games. They're taking those clubs to bowl games um, over their tenures. But these aren't ACC heavyweights. And these are the types of opponents that the last couple of seasons, uh, when we've won eight and nine games respectively, that we were beating. Um, you know, NC State had lost just a few weeks ago badly to Virginia Tech. I mean, you know, like a mm-hmm. four-touchdown game um, that they lost. And, um, and Wake Forest, I mean, they, they hadn't won an ACC game yet either coming into this game. Um, what they ha- did have... What, as an advantage was a long layoff um, because they had had a game with Notre Dame canceled due to Notre Dame having some COVID issues. And then they had also had Campbell um, in there, you know, an FCS team that they were able to to take care of pretty handily, get their backup some rest and probably not waste a ton of preparation time for. So ultimately they'd had, you know, the better part of four weeks to rest up, prepare for, for UVA. Wow. Whereas, you know, we've been those last four weeks, we played Duke, we played Clemson, we played NC State. Um, and of course, you know, we'll, we'll dive right into it, the the quarterback situation. So um, Brennan Armstrong misses the game with uh, concussion issues suffered um, in the second half or sorry, in the second quarter of the NC State game. Um, Keteon Thompson, uh, who was our ballyhooed transfer uh, quarterback came in this offseason um four-star recruit in the uh 2017 class i believe um he won games at mississippi state you know we felt pretty good this mm-hmm. summer this, all right we've got two acc level quarterbacks that, yeah he was supposed you know, he, to be good enough to challenge brennan for the number one spot he, he was and then all of a sudden um you know when when armstrong went down 
um, against NC State, and Lindell Stone comes in. Everyone says, um, "What about Thompson?" Uh, you know, the if, for those who read the depth chart that Bronco publishes every week, the backup had had um, a triple or where it said uh, Keyteon Thompson or Lindell Stone or our Armstead, our true freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. And the thought process there was that, you know, they're, they're just managing egos or, or helping teams, you know, guys feel um, good that you know, Lindell Stone's put a lot of work into the program for the last few years. And, and it, you know, it's nice to put him on there. But if push ever comes to shove, Thompson will be, be the guy. And then, well, push Giddy come to shove, and Stone was the guy who went in um, and played okay, uh, all things considered, over the, the second half of that NC State game. Um, but finally it came out this week. Jeff White reported it with VirginiaSports.com uh, um, and some of the other media outlets as well that, well, Thompson's had this injury or the shoulder injury oh. that we hadn't known about. Uh, the, the general consensus seems to be that, you know, it's, it's not the sort of thing that prevents him from carrying the ball or catching the ball, uh, playing on special teams or, or whatever he wants to do. It's just that throwing shoulder. He can't throw the ball 30 times a game. He can't heave it 30, 40 yards down the field accurately. Um, so, you know, while we can still have him in there to run some wildcat, mm-hmm. um, you know, have him in there as a, a as a wide receiver or something like that for some gadget plays. Now, was this a shoulder injury that he came with or that he got during, like, summer training camp or something? Uh, summer training camp is, okay. is what they're leading us to believe. Um, right. But it's just disappointing that, you know, we – we said we had two starter quality quarterbacks, um, and all of a sudden now we're down to none. Right. Which leaves us, you know, if we actually want to throw passes in, you know, college football today, unless you want to run the triple option with, um, you know, like Georgia Tech used to, you need to throw passes to win the game. Keaton Thompson can't throw passes. It means we're either stuck with Lindell Stone or our Armstead. Um, what does that mean? Um, you know, what, is, what do we get with those two guys? Well, um, you know, Lindell Stone was actually a pretty well-recruited quarterback mm-hmm. back in 2017. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, high three-star guy, came out of Woodbury Forest, uh, you know, local to the to Charlottesville. Um, was seen as a pretty good get, but um, he's not a system fit. Lindell Stone is a pretty conventional drop-back passer. Um, you know, he's not going to beat teams with his legs. Yeah, he was one you know, of the – he's one of the last – uh, Mike London holdover recruits. He's not. Um, I think he was recruited by the London um, London regime, but he actually committed to Bronco. Right. But yeah, I um, mean, he was he was pretty much um, like when Bronco was hired, he he kind of reaffirmed with Virginia. But yeah, he and, had been and, recruited to play in London's system. Yeah, uh, and L- London did like more traditional drop back passes. Mm-hmm. If you look at you know his time with with Grayson Lambert and, and Mike Rocco and some of those guys, um, Stone, I feel like we took him maybe because we were a little desperate in that first class for for Brennan. We didn't feel like we uh, or for Bronco, we, right. we weren't in a place where we could be picky yet. Um, we needed hey, he's a good quarterback. We'll make it work. And you know if you look at at what we did those first two years. With Kurt Banker, mm-hmm. Kurt Banker wasn't a dual threat quarterback either. They made it work. It wasn't mm-hmm. ideal, but we won some games that second year. He put up some good passing numbers. Uh, but the unfortunate truth with Lindell Stone is he hasn't been prepping to be a QB two. 
we went through the summer camp and he didn't get a spring um, to, to work out behind Brennan. He went through summer holding a clipboard in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. I mean, people understand him to be a, a coach in training. He's uh, Coach Beck's right-hand man. Okay. My, expect, my expectation was next year we'd see him on the sideline as a graduate assistant. Mm-hmm. It would make sense. He comes back as a GA next year. Um, you know. Oh, and all of a sudden, he's a starting Hurst, quarterback. <laughs> yeah, Hurst to say a little bit. His, you know, you look at him. His condition isn't the greatest. The guy's got a, carrying a little bit of bad weight. Uh-huh. Um, you know, not something you want out of a out of your starting quarterback. So, you know, again, he had an okay day. Um, twenty four of forty two for you know just a hair above fifty percent passing. Uh, one hundred ninety three yards. Um, so it's a pretty low yards per attempt average. Mm-hmm. A lot of dink and dunk. Um, no big pass plays. Um, you know, we didn't, you know, had a couple of, uh, I think our longest passing play was for 19 yards. We never broke that 20-yard chunk play barrier with, with him throwing the ball. Uh, two interceptions, one of which was uh, a Hail Mary to end the first half. I'll try not to put that one on him, but the second half, you know, he in the fourth quarter, we're trying to come back. And, and he throws a pick that was just, you know, it's just a bad pick, just mm-hmm. a bad throw, um, you know, kind of helped put the nail in our coffin. So uh, he's just he's just not a guy who's going to win us a lot of football games. With that said, I want to give him a of the benefit of the doubt because we the first half we did a lot of shuffling between Lindell Stone running a traditional passing attack and bringing in Ira and Keaton for um, Wildcat Gadget uh, sequences mm-hmm. a lot of we split stone out to wide receiver you know like that's going to fool anybody or or um you know scare a, a cornerback you know bring a safety over for help you know it's it's not um so that kind of prevented stone from getting into a rhythm there maybe you want to put the blame a little bit less on stone a little bit more on robert and i uh for going a little crazy with the with the wildcat packages it, it worked for a period of time. Um, he went away from it in the second half. You know, maybe maybe that was the problem because the second half, our, our offense failed to really generate a lot of, of momentum. But, um, you know, the bottom line is we, we said going into the season that the offense was going to sink and swim based upon how well we replaced Bryce Perkins mm-hmm. at the quarterback spot. And through four games, the you know, sad thing to say is we have not effectively replaced them is that to be expected a little bit um you know bryce perkins was a generational talent we got very spoiled with him you know brennan can certainly still have a a bright future but he's still you know just a redshirt sophomore um you you add in thompson's injury um you know armstead again possibly has a bright future still just a true freshman um We've just been on snake bitten so far. And right. I mean, Arms Armstrong he comes in, he starts two games, and then early in his third game, he's gone. And the other guy who's supposed to be starter quality's got a shoulder injury and can't throw the ball. So, I mean, it's really kind of impossible to replace Parkins when your one and your two are basically lost two games into the season. Yeah, and and that that's why I'm trying to stay, a, you know, a. I won't say optimistic, but level-headed, mm-hmm. um, and, and avoid taking a the sky is falling approach. 
Well, look, if we if we want to take a sky is falling approach and and run around like panicking minions and and you know fans of shitty teams, we can always look at the other side of the ball and say, what the fuck is going on with that defense that was yeah, supposed to I, carry us? And it has exactly. been what forty. Yeah. Wow, just yeah. completely unexpected. Yeah, I, and so that's why with the offense having troubles you know what to point to there. You, you know to point to the the qu- quarterback turnover, um, you know, Brennan being a little turnover prone, being new to the new to this the starting position, um, working in some new skill position players at wide out and tight end. You know, these things happen. Yeah, there's but just stuff the, that you don't see as a quarterback until you get out on the field against true opponents right yeah and, and so what we what we said early on was oh, okay that's fine you know right. we'll probably take an l at clemson but hopefully our defense can carry us through duke through nc state through wake forest mm-hmm. and buy by brennan that time to, to grow up um and we'll just win some games with defense for the mm-hmm. first few games no big deal right mm-hmm. um you know we're returning uh seven starters ostensibly on offense but really it's more or sorry on defense but really it's more than that because um, you know, the, the four we lost from last year are um, Eli Handback on the defensive line graduated, Jordan Mack graduated from the linebacker position, and Bryce Hall graduated from the uh, from the cornerback position. But, you know, Bryce Hall missed most of last season right. with an injury. And, um, you know, even Jordan Mack missed the Orange Bowl with an injury. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we've got guys um, who have uh, starting experience back at, in every position group, the fourth one missing, of course, is um, Aaron Fumway, who is uh, taking the year off uh, due to pandemic concerns. Okay. But right. you know, seven, seven starters returning is off, and, and the ones who are returning are seniors and, and juniors. You know, these guys are, are system vets. Yeah, and There's, a linebacking core that we were talking about preseason as possibly the best in Virginia history, and we've had some pretty damn good linebacking cores. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we, we the last great linebacking core that, that I really remember, um, you know, goes back to the Grow era when um, Kai Perham mm-hmm. and Daryl Blackstock and Ahmad Brooks, right? Uh, you know, were there, and you, you go back to the to the Welsh era in the '90s. Yeah, Farrier um, and Sharper, and yeah, man. yeah, there were some great so, linebackers. In. Um, yeah, and and we were there. There were debates going on out there. Is, is this is good? as that 05 core that 95 core and um you know why wouldn't we think that hey you know we, we you know nick jackson was really the only youngster on that group and he showed well in his uh in his time filling in for jordan mack last year um otherwise you got five seniors and a junior in that group mm-hmm. um you know noah taylor and and um it's being looked at as, as an nfl guy and um, you know Zane Zandier being looked at as an NFL guy, they have done okay against the run so far, but they're not getting to the quarterback consistently. They're not collapsing um, the backfield, and they're not helping out in pass or in pass coverage. So you know tight ends are are catching passes against us. Um, you know the picking apart the middle of our zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's disappointing. Yeah, um, I mean, and, all three units were supposed to be good. Nick Howell, you know, great defensive back coach. Okay, we lost our defensive line coach, but you know, real good personnel, and no reason to expect Clint Simpson to not come in and be a good coach. And 
you know, top linebackers coach, and it's just not working. Yeah, and we don't even have the transfer excuse to really blame. Um, you know, you look at offense, they have they brought in a lot of transfers mm-hmm. this year on the offensive side of the ball at the skill positions. On you know, defense, we have we have two. Um, you know, D'Angelo Amos was brought in at safety, you know, both from JMU, um, and then we bring in a defensive lineman as well. And um, but but neither were necessarily counted on to be starters. Um, you know, neither you know they're like, okay. They, we're bringing in some good depth is kind of how we mm-hmm. looked at it. Um, but really, if you have to point fingers, you hate to point fingers. But if you have to point fingers, you point it at the defensive backfield, um, where um, you know I I don't want to to belittle their the effort because. Uh, Devontae Cross and Nick Grant as our starting cornerbacks are trying hard, but you know they're, they're just getting beat consistently. And Brenton Nelson, um, Joey Blunt at, at safety again. You know the Blunt's doing pretty good coming up against the run, but the those those deep passes across the middle um, are are killing us. And you know at that point you just have to start changing your scheme, going nickel more, uh, dropping linebackers into coverage. And which means you can't pressure the quarterback. And if mm-hmm. you can't pressure the quarterback, he's got time to find receivers. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know if the answer is just to, to blitz, blitz, blitz even more. Um, and, and just hope that, you know, the, the throws they do get off while they're under pressure and they, uh, they're off target or, um, you know, that the ones they do complete on hot routes against man coverage, well, it's not enough to break you. Um, I don't know how much we can do that against Miami this week, playing against Eric King, who is, uh, you know, really showing up well for Miami this year. Uh, Miami's a four and one team. Uh, really, their only loss they had was a competitive, you know, not close but competitive loss to Clemson. And um, you know, Derek King scored 50 touchdowns his junior season at Houston. 50 wow. touchdowns in one season. Guy can get it done with his legs and with his arm. And Unfortunately, a lot of our defensive scheme against Miami is just going to have to be contained. Um, you know, we can't blitz him too hard because, you know, one spin move, he's going to do to us what Bryce Perkins used to do to everybody else and and go crazy. So we have to, to box him in. We have to keep him in the pocket and, you know, trust it, um, you know, make you beat him with his arm. Ordinarily, I'd say, okay, maybe, maybe that's an okay strategy. But, you know, as we've seen um, – NC State with Dennis or Devin Leary was able to beat us with their arm and uh, Wake Forest with Sam Hartman um, was able to do some, you know, put 300 yards uh, passing on us. The I don't know if you can just trust, hey, Derek King's a running quarterback, force him to beat us with his arm and say that's going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, but I don't want to, th- like I said, I don't want to throw in the towel yet. I don't want to call this a lost season we got a couple of big games coming up. Uh, you know, Miami this week. Opening line has this as a 10-point uh, underdog. Hmm. Frankly, if I were a neutral better out in Las Vegas, I'd look at that and say, whoa, that is uh, that could be much worse. You know, maybe maybe we bet Miami on, and expect them to, to blow UVA out. It's on the road um, in Coral Gables. So uh, night game. You know, we'll we'll see what UVA can do. This will be the, a big opportunity to bounce back. We'll see if Brandon Armstrong is healthy, giving us a lot of indications as to whether or not he is going to be back. It's his first uh, concussion, and they were talking this past week like 
there was a small chance he could be back against Wake Forest. So mm-hmm. hopefully that means that he, he's back in practice on Monday or Tuesday with enough time to get ready for, for Miami's um, Miami's defense. I think that's going to give us the best chance to win. Um, after that, we play UNC. Mm. Yeah, UNC is typically a team that plays to the level of their opponent for better or worse. Um, so I expect the UNC game to be a close one one way or the other. They... Um, had looked pretty good uh, in their win two weeks ago against Virginia Tech. Uh, put up fit, over 50 points on offense, so they did wow. give up a lot on defense. You know, they gave up 40 some to, to Virginia Tech. So, um, but they were looking good um, the week before that. They had played a close one against Boston College, needing uh, needing to stop a two point conversion um, at the uh, at the end of the game, end of the fourth quarter, wow. uh, to keep Boston College from tying it up um, and forcing overtime. So, um, and then, but they were looking good. I would think that put them at 4-0 and at that stage. And um, people talking about them as a top 10 team, which I felt was a little generous. They wound up losing to Florida State this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a Florida State team that hadn't won a game yet this year. Right. Had already lost to Georgia Tech, had been blown out by, by Miami. Um, and then, you know, Florida State manages to, to run up a big early lead on UNC and then hang on. So, um, you know, again, I think UNC is a good team and they probably will be the favorite in that game and justifiably so. Mm -hmm. But again, they play up or down to whoever their opponent is and um, will probably be able to, you know, again, keep it within a touchdown. And then it just comes down to what can we do in the fourth quarter? Um, You know, by that point is is whatever is ailing the the defense uh, fixed. I mean, a big part of me with, with this defense wonders how much of it is just, um, you know, the attitude and the want to. This is a program that uh, very quickly became accustomed to success the last two years and is having to learn how to sustain success. And that's a very different, um, very different mentality to have. Breaking through is one headspace. Maintaining excellence is another headspace. And, um, you know, you start to have guys come in and you know, proverbially born on, on third base and thinking they had a triple. They, you know, they, they had older guys carry, you know, uh, carry the team to a, a, you know, eight and nine win seasons in, in nice bowl games. Think, oh, this is just what we do. We just get ready for the game and we go out and we win and, and that's that. So all of a sudden now they're needing to realize, oh, hey, this is our turn to to have to buckle down, to have to uh, take our game prep seriously, to have to play four continuous quarters. Um, you know, we got off to another bad first quarter this week, uh, 14-3. Um, you know, went, went down 14 nothing right out the right. gate. You know, so, you know, that is, um, that's mental. When, you know, you're playing pretty even ball in quarters two, three, and four, but you're losing quarter one, um, you know, by double digits every single week. To me, that says it's just mental. It's purely about, uh, you know, guys being locked in from the opening whistle. And they're they're going to have to relearn how to do that. I don't know if maybe because of the COVID situation, um, Bronco and the staff weren't quite as hard on the team in the summer as they ordinarily would be. Maybe um, compared to some of the the Junction Boy style workouts of past years, this year was, um, you know, 
I don't want to say easy, but um, you know maybe there's a little more grace given, given the uncertainty of of social distance workouts and um, you know n- not being certain how much we could have contact and splitting up workout groups and you know, oh, you know they've been isolated in quarantine for for six months. Right. You know maybe we maybe we don't want to you know beat them up too bad right away. We we want to to bring them back slowly and well you know. We saw what happened at you know for those who watched um, week one, Navy got blown out by I think it was BYU, and they not, you know said after the games like well we didn't do a lot of tackling because of social distancing, mm-hmm. and you know it shows up in week one. Um, so what happened? That it, what happened in the with the last quarter Saturday? I mean, it was um, twenty twenty, and all of a sudden it's forty to twenty three. What the hell happened? Um, turnovers. Ah, yeah, and and that's that's a shame because um, Virginia was turnover prone each of the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple turnovers and a special teams turnover against Duke. Uh, Brennan threw some interceptions against Clemson, and then again um, he threw two interceptions against State uh, before Stone took over and um, Stone threw an interception. the The two interceptions against Wake, or sorry, against State early on for Brennan. Bronco said in the press conference was about miscommunications with the receivers. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was trying not to put it all on Brennan. Um, but, you know, it's turnovers are turnovers. The bottom line is they go to the offense in general. Mm-hmm. Um, against Wake Forest, we played three quarters of turnover, you know, turnover free ball. If, if you don't count the, the Hail Mary interception to end the first right. half. And, Again, yeah. that's kind of a, a Throw throwaway. Yeah. No pun intended. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But not counting that, you know, we played pretty clean ball and kept, you know, and, and kept taking good care of it for the first three quarters. And then the fourth quarter hits, um, Stone throws an interception, and Paris Jones fumbles a kickoff return, which gives um, right. gives Wake a short field, which they promptly turn into a touchdown. Um, and uh, just before that, we had given up, just had a breakdown. Um, in tackling, Nick Grant misses a tackle, and the and the receiver goes for seventy five yards mm-hmm. and a touchdown. Um, and just just like that, you know, our back is broken. So this is a team that played three better quarters. I'm not going to say it was great, um, but it was an improvement. You know, they battled through three quarters, and then just they they broke down there at the end, and um, they're going to have to figure out a way to to, to bounce back from that. Um, you know, there's still a few games left on the schedule that are that are still winnable. Um, you know, even if Miami and UNC are tough teams, they're both ranked. Louisville struggled so far this year. I don't think you know they're 0 and 4 in the conference. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get a, a guaranteed win against Abilene Christian. Florida State, you know, they looked good in that win against UNC, but they looked bad in their previous game. So that's still a game we have a shot to win. BC I, hasn't looked overly the, impressive. So, I mean, the way I see know, it. You you only play Clemson once. We played them already, and the rest of them are just ACC teams. So they're all winnable. They're all yeah, losable, we, but they're all winnable. So yeah, we don't play Notre Dame this year. You know, for those who who think you know, Notre Dame is a right. perennial top fifteen team, is, is something to worry about. Did forget yeah, about they, Notre they, Dame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and not having them on the schedule this year. Okay, so we don't play too. them anyway. So it doesn't matter that I forgot yeah. them. So, yeah, for, yeah. For, so, so we've got some winnable games, that. and then 
you know, you know, hopefully Virginia Tech, you know, way down there in, in mid-December is a throw-out-the-records kind of game. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we can have Brennan healthy and he shows some some steady growth over the course of the season, maybe that changes things. Sure, um, and you like to think that a veteran team always has a chance to turn it around. Yep, and if so. and if you think that if you're worried that the defense and a lot of these guys just haven't been getting up for games, whether it's because there's no fans. Um, or because they've taken success for granted, whatever. The bottom line is when they line up against Virginia Tech in December, it's still a game that they are coached to just be fired up for. Right. You know, they Virginia Tech. And um, you know, they'll they'll find the fire for that game. I'm hopeful they'll find the fire against Miami, against UNC. I mean and that's the other thing with State and Wake. State NC State and Wake Forest aren't rivals. These aren't teams that we see every year. And you know, for a lot of these guys, um, there's, I could see how there's not a mental edge because oh it's it's quote unquote just NC State it's quote unquote just Wake when you know they're Atlantic teams they're generally not very good they're not powerhouses so but you know Miami UNC Louisville right. teams that you know we play every year and these guys have developed a a, a little bit of a you know mental comfort zone in, in playing them um, you know they know these are these are our coastal rivals or, or our cross division rival these are games that are big every year. Um, you know, Florida State's big because of, of who it is. You know, I'll, I'll worry a little bit when we play Boston College because, uh, you know, BC is a, another one of those Atlantic teams that we don't think too much about, but then Virginia Tech. So, you know, we've got four games left against, you know, teams that we play every year. We've got Florida State, who's a team we played last year, and, um, you know, we'll get up for it because of who it is. So, you know, hopefully we'll see that, that mental edge and that toughness and that fire return promptly and, and carry us through some, uh, through the next games and, and get us, uh, you know, get us some improvement. Maybe get us some wins. All right. So, a question for you: Before the season, how would we have um, looked at the Miami matchup? So, I was, I personally was a little higher on Miami than a lot of people were going into the season. Uh, when we did our preseason power ranking poll, I think of all of the four riders who voted, I, I was the only one who had Miami towards the top, and I put them third. I put them okay. behind Notre Dame. A lot of the other guys had them, um, you know, down around the middle of the conference, seventh or or, or sixth or so. And the the rub with Miami the last few years has been, you know, great defense, a lot of talent, well coached on defense with Manny Diaz, um, who's a great defensive coach. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a defensive coordinator, then got promoted up to to head coach. Um, you know, offense has been the problem. They don't have a good offensive line. They've had terrible quarterback play. Um, sure, there's some speed and some talent at the skill positions, but you know, if you've got an offensive line that can't block. And if you've got a quarterback who you know, mm-hmm. can't make his pass and turn it over, that's, that's that. And that's been why Miami has really underwhelmed the last couple of years and been, you know, kind of a barely above 500 team. Uh, Eric King changed all that, that transfer quarterback, um, you know, the same way Bryce Perkins just completely reshaped our offense for UVA the last couple of years. Derek King does the same thing. He's escapable. He's a playmaker with his legs and his arms. He can he can score both ways, uh, and um, the offensive line there is still imperfect. It's probably a polite way to put it. Uh, they still give up some some turnovers, or uh, and some sacks, but um, this is explosive. And you know when all of a sudden, you know King gets into the open field, he's gone. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden he finds you know one of those fast wide receivers gets deep, you know, gets behind a, a safety, you know, that's, right. that's six points. So, you know, we're really going to have to do a good job staying in front of receivers, 
um, keeping Derek King uh, contained, you know, don't let him get a, a escape. You know, hopefully having gone against uh, Perkins in practice the last couple of years is, is the sort of thing that, that helps. You know, I would I would play Armstead. You know, we saw Armstead be a very uh, slick quarterback or Thompson. You know, let them run out there as a as a scout teamer and mm-hmm. you know and emulate King, if nothing else, for the run game portion of it, and and force the defense to play contain. Um, and you know, it's the same sort of thing we're going to have to do uh, against Louisville in a couple weeks with uh, Cunningham, their quarterback, in Virginia Tech with with Hooker. Right. Uh, who's a who's a slippery quarterback as well. So you know Miami's going to be good prep for for the couple of the big games we've got later this year against mobile quarterbacks as well. Okay. All right. So Miami, it's down there. A big one for the the football team. I do want to touch on women's soccer quickly. Uh, you know we we talked about it a lot last week with Val, and this was a big week for the women's team who were kind of scuffling and looking up at some teams and those two teams came to Charlottesville this week. We played Louisville on Thursday and then Florida state today. Uh, St. Louis and I are recording this on Sunday. So um, the women did beat Louisville on Thursday, but dropped a four, three contest to Florida state. And apparently it was the, the first time all season that we've seen most of the Virginia starters able to play and while they looked rusty there were some moments where it was a true uh, final four caliber game you know florida state's ranked number two yep number two in the country and they and there was some good resiliency there florida state jumped out to yeah. a 2-0 lead um early in the game i think they i think in like the first like 12 minutes or so 14 minutes they had the, their first two goals and virginia battled back um and it was just yeah it just fell short at the end of that 4-3 uh, i think they had it tied at three goals apiece um, before Florida State scored late to put it away. But, um, yeah, the, the team's making progress. Yeah, good week. Uh, good week for the team. Uh, you know, beating Louisville puts – or you know, get, gets us even with them and with the edge and the tiebreaker. And then um, it looks like the quality of play is coming back. So, um, hopefully the women's team is turning around. And hopefully the football team will turn it around. Definitely. So, basketball – Began practice this past week, I think on Wednesday, and you know we're all looking forward to basketball season. And has there been any movement on the recruiting front as we approach the season? You know, the last big recruiting news that we had um, was Tyne Murray's uh, commitment back in September. So this is that uh, Murray is a a New Zealand stud uh, guard, probably kind of a considered a two, a two, three off guard, big score um, was going to come into the 21 class uh, chose us over Stanford and Maryland. Um, but, you know, we, we're still looking at two empty scholarships for the 21 class. So, you know, we're going to lose Jay Huff, Sam Hauser and Thomas Walter Tensai to, uh, to graduation um, this coming summer. Maybe, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so that, that leaves three open scholarships. Murray fills one. we got two left. And Tony Bennett is hot and heavy, neck and neck on three great prospects right now. The the big name, the one that everyone's been talking about for a long, long time is Trevor Keels. He 
He is a do-everything guard out of the Northern Virginia, Fairfax. Um, he goes to Paul VI, uh, which is a prep powerhouse in the um, the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference, the maybe the best private basketball conference, high school conference in America. Um, he's down to a top three of Virginia, Villanova, and Duke. Uh, he's ranked generally around the number 13, 14, top recruit in the country, five-star type. If I had to peg today, you know, unfortunately, I probably would lean a little towards Duke. His um, his high school teammate, Jeremy Roach, uh, is a, another five-star, just joined the Duke team this year um, as the point guard. The two of them are, are very close. Um, you know, they were best friends in high school um, and have stayed close, you know, with uh, Roach down there in, in Durham. I think Keels has a great relationship with Virginia, and they're probably one, two at this point. You know, I would say Villanova is a distant third. Um, you know, Keels, Keels and Bennett are very tight. Uh, and Keels is close to a lot of the assistants. You know, he's compared a lot to Malcolm Brogdon and the fact that he can run point, um, that he's big and strong. He can get in the lane. He can shoot the three. Um, really, he can he can defend. He can play anywhere from the one to three on offense, and probably even has the muscle to guard one through four on defense, um, if you needed him to. But um, you know, it's going to be a battle. He has not said when he's going to decide. You know, people he has wanna, said very little. Said, he has kept everything has, close and, to the and, vest and, on and that one. And of course, nature reports a vacuum. So because he doesn't do a lot of interviews and he doesn't tip his hand much. Um, in terms of his recruitment, everybody is, you know, kind of making stuff up, uh, and rumors turn into, you know, something that someone spouts out as a fact. And then, you know, I know people over on the Villanova side have been in it and say they've got insider information that just, of course, turns out to be false. And, um, you know, they didn't really know. Um, we don't even know if he's going to decide by the November signing day. So as of now, the NCAA, NCAA has not changed that November uh, will have the the early signing period. Who knows if Keels is even going to announce before then? He could take it all the way out to the spring. He's a five star. He's got you know uh, three of the last four national champions have a spot for him. And what does it hurt him to wait? Right. He wants to, if he wants to decide in November, if he wants to decide in January, if he wants to decide next May, um, you know, he he can do that. So we're we're in wait and see mode there. Two other names: Trey Kaufman is a forward out of Indiana. Um, Virginia has said that he uh, told him that they see a lot of DeAndre Hunter in him. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite certain. I, I think Hunter is the right comp there. No. I mean, I, was, I, I know why they want to say right. that. They, they, right. Hey, you're the, like the number four draft pick. You know, mm-hmm. that sounds good to everybody. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a little bit more of an inside out player than yeah. outside in which is what uh hunter was right uh, but i still think he's a great player he stands about six eight six nine um very tough game um can play inside and out probably would play the four at uva mm-hmm. with the potential to play five in a small ball lineup he um he is down to a top five at this stage of indiana purdue UVA, UNC, and Indiana State. So Indiana State's um, obviously a, um, a sentimental inclusion. Uh, I think he has some family ties to the school, uh, but really it's a top four of Purdue, Indiana, UNC, and um, 
in UVA. Mm-hmm. Purdue's probably at the back end of that group because they already have a commitment from another Indiana in-state kid, Caleb First, who mm-hmm. really plays okay. the same position. The two of them are very similar players. And uh, um, Tony was really after First for a while, too. Yep, First is another good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so UNC and UVA, he did actually make a drive down here. Of course, the mm-hmm. recruiting um, recruiting is in a dead period because of COVID and has been all year. Um, so official visits are, are not allowed, but he, what you can do is do what what's your, we call an unofficial unofficial in that you know, it's on your own dime and you can't even coordinate with the school. It's just like when you and I were in high school and right. we're, we're a junior and decided, hey, I want to go visit UVA over spring break and, and take the, the U guides tour and, you know, eat at the corner. But, you know, no one welcomed us. There was no you know, tour of JPJ. There was no right. other stuff. We just kind of you know, walked around and met with an academic um, advisor and stuff like that. So, um, so he, he did that on his own dime and he actually combined our trip with the UNC trip. At this point, Indiana, you know, a lot of folks say Indiana is the favorite because of the hometown feel. Um, they, you know, think that he's going to want to stay close to home. I have no inside knowledge on this one. I think he's you know, if it was going to be, if it was that clear cut Indiana, it would have been Indiana already. Um, I, he still could ultimately choose it, but I do think he's giving UVA and UNC some some pretty good consideration. Um, that one I would bet probably gets decided before the November signing period. So you know, we got about a month to go until he, that. He tweeted something recently that was intriguing. He he did. So he was actually his Instagram page. So he, Instagram, he had. Okay. Uh, yeah, on his story, he had two photos. The first one was um, the number five with all five of his finalist logos um, around it. And then the second one was um, the number one with a question mark. Right. So, you know, it loads to say, hey, you know, I'm get, you know who's, the, who's it going to come down to? So and, maybe he's getting but, ready but, to, to announce yes, that fairly but, soon. But what it did not say was a date. There was no countdown right. timer on it. No, there, there was, was nothing. No, it was just that. It's, but there's no, it's it, intriguing. You know, November 1st. Right. You know, two names, nothing like that. So, you know, he, we, we've got a few more weeks, I think, before um, we ultimately know. Um, you know, I, again, I. Well, if I were. Wanna, I don't want to bet on that one. He, it could it could go any number of ways. If I were an inside player, if I were a 6'9 kid, and I had the opportunity to go to UNC and be coached by Roy Williams and his staff, I would take it. I. Yeah, UNC from what I've seen, I think they do a fantastic job of developing big men. I, they always have, and they still do. I watch, you know, you watch a Garrison Brooks, and you see some of the guys that have come through there, and the way they get better and better and better. Um, I, th- I think what what Tony Bennett can do with guards and wings, Roy Williams does with big men. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I don't know much about what his um, what the scholarship or situation looks like down at UNC in terms of big man. I know right. Garrison Brooks is due to graduate. Um, they've got uh, a bunch of other young big men there and uh, Daron Sharp, mm-hmm. um, Armando Bacot, mm-hmm. and um, Walker Kessler. Uh, who oh, Walker it, Kessler. And, and, him, and yeah. Sharp and Kessler are joining the team this year. I don't know right. how many years those guys plan to stay in school. And that's the thing with UNC is sometimes those five-star guys and the high four and four-star guys stick around for four years, and sometimes they go one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, because you know Roy is another guy like Tony, where it's hard for freshmen to come in and and break into that that top at the very beginning. He doesn't. Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about this some in a couple of weeks yeah. when we start breaking down the ACC because um, you know UNC fell apart last year. 
in large part because they were a young team and they're right. counting on some freshmen in ways that Roy really doesn't like to have to count on freshmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and incidentally, from what I yeah. what I just said about um, having the opportunity to be coached by Roy Williams as a big man, if I was a, a hot shot wing, I wouldn't p- pass up the opportunity to be coached by Tony Bennett. Um, nope. and to me and that, that would be a, a no-brainer. That would just be yep, a no-brainer. And, and, and that's a good segue into talking about our third recruiting target right now, um, which is Caleb Houston out of well, he's he's out of Canada, but he's down in Florida um, at a prep academy at uh, Montverde, which is one of the big okay. national prep. I was going to um, guess IMG uh, from where the way no, you were going, no, but Montverde. No, we haven't had a lot one. of yeah, we haven't had a ton of success out of Montverde. We've recruited out of that school before, right. never landed anybody. Um, but you know, never say never. Uh, he is actually higher rated than Keels. So hmm. Houston comes in at um, number eight nationally in two four sevens composite. He's you know potential one and done kind of player. Six foot eight, um, depending on who's measuring him. You know one of those great modern long wings. Okay. Um, you know, and if you want to make the DeAndre Hunter comparison, this is the guy. It works better for him than for Kaufman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, there's some I want to make with him that'll get me slapped. Is Cam Bradish. Um, who uh, uh, was also um, who is DeAndre Hunter's teammate now in Atlanta? Right. Um, yeah, Reddish is another six eight guy um, who actually played the two right. played shooting guard for Duke, which was a, a little bit out of positional necessity, but I mean it says a lot about his handle. Had a good handle, had a good shot, and you know Houston can, can come in and do the same. Um, so he's down to Virginia uh, and Alabama seem to be the the two hmm. favorites, and I'm. I'm struggling to remember what his other finalists were at this point. I think Michigan was one, and um, it'll come to me. It was a top four. But the the general consensus seems to be that it's Alabama and UVA. Um, Who's coaching Alabama now? Nate Oates, who – yeah, Alabama is an interesting school to take a look at. You know, you'd look at that group and say, oh, Duke. I'm sorry, Houston's other finalist was Duke. But – um, Duke actually has not been prioritizing him. Um, you know, it says a whole lot about Duke that this number eight in the country five right. star is is not their number one priority. But they've actually got um, Keels higher on their board, and there's another um, another top ten wing that they're that they're looking at um, closing out uh, pretty soon as well. Um, but Alabama, so Nate Oates came down to Alabama last summer from Buffalo. Okay. He was at Buffalo. Right. He he was there for four years, and they went to the NCAA tournament three times mm-hmm. and won two games there. Mm-hmm. They beat Arizona one year and Arizona State another. So you know he did great things at you know at this Mac school, uh, and came to Alabama and has just been killing it on the recruiting trail. Um, so he's gotten something like seven four stars. Maybe eight wow. um, to commit there between the 19 through 21 classes, um, and already and then went out and got um, a five-star point guard and JD Davison uh, as part of his 21 class. And <laughs> here's a name you guys are gonna love hearing: Javon Quinterly transferred to <laughs> the play for him uh, when he left Villanova. Yeah. So and Qu- Quinterly will come eligible this year. He was he had a red shirt this past year because of the transfer. Um, but I mean, that Alabama roster is just stocked with talent and Oates, Oates has a great uh, reputation. Um, and you know, I mentioned, uh, Caleb is from Canada, Well, there's a bit of a Canada pipeline. He's worked in there too. It comes back from his days at at Buffalo being right across the border. Um, he's got a lot of connections there. So 
Uh, Charles Bediaco, who is a Canadian big man, another five-star guy, mm-hmm. is actually choosing between Alabama and going pro uh, at this stage. Um, so it, it's yeah, Alabama is uh, an intriguing option for for Caleb to go to. Uh, it might you know there's a lot that's going to go into it. Um, obviously, the guy who coached DeAndre Hunter got him to the league in three years, and honestly, if Hunter hadn't gotten hurt before the NCAA tournament in 20. 18 he could have been a two and done right honest. he was already on draft boards and it was really that broken wrist mm-hmm. that bought us the extra year potentially um so you know houston maybe to, and that's one thing nate oates doesn't have is a pedigree of getting guys to the league um and nothing like what what bennett does you know bennett's got gotten you know six or eight guys perimeter guys into the nba mm-hmm. so it's, a, it's interesting how that's going to shake out I, that's another one that I expect to wrap up in the next couple of weeks. Right. Um, he said he wants to decide before his senior season starts, um, which will be sometime in November. So we'll, we'll find out soon um, what our 2021 class is going to look like. It could very well be just Murray. Um, very like, or very possible that Keels goes to Duke, uh, that Houston goes to, to Alabama and that Kaufman stays at Indiana. Um, and UVA is holding the bag and just pivots to 22, which isn't right. the end of the world. We've no, it's good- not. The roster still looks great. And it, uh, frankly, I, I, have, I have expected Keels to go to Duke for a very long time since uh, there was a period there where he was waiting on a Duke offer and Duke hadn't offered yet. And then Duke offered and, and he said something and I was like, all right, yeah, he's going to Duke. And yeah, and, just, and I've just kind of assumed that ever since. And and Duke's got a pretty big need for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, UVA will make great use of him too. Uh, but um, Duke is stocking up very well on big men and forwards and whatnot. But they're thin on guard, especially if some of the guys expected to turn pro out, out of this year's group do. Right. That um, you know, guy a guy who can play the one and the two, you know, play or on or off the ball. Ball uh, is a guy who's going to step into a pretty early for for K in that 21 class, which is why you know I mentioned that you know, Caleb Houston is um, the higher rated player, but the lower priority for for Shishovsky. and that's just because you know he's got other guys who can play the three and the four like Houston can, but he doesn't really have a lot of guys who can play the one or the two right. the way Keels can. I mean, I guess if Keels was was a definite Duke guy, you know why would why wouldn't he have already committed? So maybe, you know, I'm just reading in history in, into it. But because, um, you know, obviously at Virginia, you know, if I was in Keel's class, I would be looking at Virginia's roster saying, you know, it's going to be kind of tough for me to break in there because his, you know, that first year, because Kihei will still be there. And then you've got Reese Beekman and Jabri Abdur Rahim. And uh, Casey Morsell's just a couple years ahead, and um, Car- Carson Morcorkle in then, his second right, season. Right, sure. I mean, very different. I mean, Keels is different than all of those players. It's the one thing he kind of has working for him. Mm-hmm. If, if I have to say anything, he's a better Casey Morsell because he's just a little bigger and his, his, his three point shot is much better. Right. Um, but he kind of fits that same switchable guard mold. Um, and what I I like the reason I like him so much is he's. He's just kind of a bully player, you know. He's he's one of those guys that um, kill you as soon as say hello to you out of, out there on the court, and no moment's too big for him. And um, 
kind of reminds me of the attitude-wise of Ty Jerome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but like you said, the 2021-22 the, the the, the roster, so the, the roster that Keels and Kaufman will be wa- walking into is already a deep roster. Um, we'll also get... More of an uh, opening tri- for Kaufman. There, there's a need for, there, there for is. A, an if, interior if, player, especially a combo forward kind of interior player. And, and that gets to whether or not Kaufman sees himself as, as the post player. Right. Um, a lot of guys these days, you know, saying, oh, you're a big, a big man, you know, scares them off. Everyone wants to be, everyone wants to be a wing. Everyone wants to be a guard. I mean, you look at our roster this past year, we called Braxton Key a guard. Right. And we called DeAndre Hunter a guard. Yeah. And it's like, no, you guys are forwards, but it, you know, it's about ego. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas, you know, Braxton Key was at his best as a, as a big man. Yeah, as a four, I mean, God, I remember right. he played the five in the national championship game when mm-hmm. we went, when we went really small against Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. Braxton Key was our five man, and he killed at it. It was great. Um, you know, I'd love to see, you know, guys really embrace being a modern, you know, kind of a light five man, um, or maybe like a five capable forward would be a good way to put mm-hmm. it. To say, hey, on don't worry on offense. You're going to be face up. You're going to be on the perimeter. You're going to take threes. You're going to attack with the dribble drive. The way I but, expect to see Sam Hauser play this year. Yep. I would but, be telling we, Trey Kaufman, you can you can step in and, and for Sam yeah. Hauser. Well, except for the fact that Justin McCoy is going to try to step in for Sam Hauser and Trey Murphy is going to try to step in for Sam Hauser. Trey Murphy, that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing because Trey Murphy is more of your DeAndre Hunter clone than, than Trey Kaufman. And I could definitely see Trey and Trey as a forward combination. Uh, yep. And Murphy, so, so Murphy the, I, I'm, I have Murphy penciled in as the wing. Yep. And so, so for a quick refresher for everybody, um, you know, Trey Murphy is our new transfer from Rice, who uh, is, as of now, planning to sit out this year as a redshirt and then come eligible next year. He went to Rice, he came out of North Carolina, and I actually vaguely remember us looking at him way back in the 2018 class. Um, we man, did. He wasn't 6'9 then. He was like a 6'3 no. or 6'4 six, four six, guard four. with a questionable yeah. handle and and maybe not the highest level of competition. So we liked yeah. him, but he wasn't ACC caliber he, at the he time. He grew five inches yeah. in two years at Rice um, and all of a sudden became a 6'9 player with, with guard skills and a, and a solid three-point shot. Um and completely changed who he was and, and how you could utilize him and, and how dangerous he was. And he, that's why he went from, you know, Rice. Rice is a nice football school. Rice is not a basketball school. Um, Rice is, is a very, very bad basketball school. So the fact that he went there speaks a lot to how uh, low rated he was coming out of high school and how, you know, he wasn't, wasn't really all that sought after. And then, you know, fast forward two years, he's, He's on everybody's radar as a transfer. Um, Tony Bennett's super excited about him. Of all the transfers he could have gone after, Murphy's the guy he heard in on. And because you can he can see play the three, it. he can play the four. Yeah, you can see why. I, um, you know, I'm working on a, a video, a season hype video, and uh, I was going to put in some footage of Trey because he was in that Unity thing that they put on Instagram. And so I went out looking for Rice highlights and – yeah, you can definitely see why 
people love him and why Tony's excited. <laughs> I really laugh because, man, this kid will shoot the ball. He will hike it up from anywhere. And he he's he's shooting the ball the way Ty Jerome was. And if he steps over, as soon as he steps over to half court line, you've got to be in his face because he will not hesitate to heave it up from there. But uh, good yeah. handle, good so, getting to the so, basket. It just you know, and there is a there's a line of thought that you know maybe the staff decides to try to get him to play this year. Um, for those who have not seen this year. Uh, the NCAA passed a, a a waiver, like a blanket waiver for eligibility for the winter sports, the same way they did for football and for baseball this past spring, to say that, hey, this is kind of a free year. Uh, does, this year does not count against anybody's eligibility. So for Murphy, who actually was, he came to UVA looking partly because he wanted to redshirt. He wanted to do what Malcolm Brogdon did and work on his physique you know he, he grew a lot and he got very tall but kind of stretched him out yeah he's very, very skinny. skinny yeah needs to spend some time in yeah. the weight room you know spend this year drinking a lot of protein shakes um but maybe he's got a uh an argument to to you know get a, a waiver and and play this year um because he still has two more years waiting for him on the back end because this year doesn't count and if him and tony can kind of come to an agreement that says um, you know, we're not going to push you out after four years played. You know, we recognize the special circumstances for you and you can play this year and still play two more. You know, maybe he chooses to do that, especially if he's in practice and he's showing well, if he's hitting his threes, if he's outplaying some of the, the current guys. I mean, he's not going to outplay Sam Hauser as the starting four, but that doesn't mean that whether Hauser's backup position um, or the, the three spot. Three. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, those spots are wide open yeah. and open for, for the taking. If he comes in and plays well, I mean, the guy's got D one experience. Um, he's got size. He's, he's, he's older. You know, who's to say he doesn't come in and just beat out the young guys or beat and out the, some of his competition. The free year changes everything because this year doesn't count. If he sits this year, he can still only play two years. But if he plays this year, he can still play two years. If uh, if I'm yeah. getting this correctly, yeah, because it would yeah, still be, um, he will if he sits this year and plays two more years, he will then he will still have played four years. Correct. Whereas if he plays this year, this year doesn't count, and so he's still got two more years. Yeah. So, so to to help folks understand this, in case you're wondering what this means, what this means is essentially the expression is five to play four. You know, a, a kid comes out of high school, and he's got five years to play four seasons. And the fifth is a is a red shirt, whether he uses it as a freshman, or for a transfer, um, or because of injury. And then if you need if you want to go beyond that five to play four, you need some sort of NCAA waiver. For now, for every sport in D1, whether it be the spring sports last academic year or the fall and winter sports this academic year, this year does not count towards that five to play four. So, um, you know, essentially now it's it could be as much as six to play five for everybody um, is what that looks like. And um, I mean, that that applies every bit as much to the the seniors this year as it does to the freshmen. Anybody who's on a roster this year, it affects. 
So maybe so, he could sit and play three. No, no. Um, well, yeah, you actually, know, right. He could sit and he could sit and no, he would have to sit two and then play two more. Well, I don't because the other guys are getting to play five. So the argument would be he had that year. Why couldn't he also play five? We're gonna need to get Mark Emmert on the phone. Thank you. Yeah, this, this, our, our, yeah I, and have him explain it. I wonder how um, well they thought this through because it has a lot of it, potential it unintended consequences. What about the high school seniors? And yeah, so this this is a messy situation. It's why I never thought they'd actually go through with it. I know, especially especially once football and basketball seasons, um, for the most part, are happening. Right. You know, I thought if if anything, they might give relief to kids whose schools shut down their season. Right. So if like you go to ODU and mm-hmm. play football, because ODU's not playing football this year, right? Whereas their conference is, but the school's not. Okay, well, we're going to give kids at ODU a break because it helps prevent those kids from then transferring somebody else, somewhere else to say, all right, well, I'll get my time on the back end. Mm-hmm. We'll make it up. But for any school that played, like, why are they doing that for kids at UVA who are playing mm-hmm. football this year, who are playing basketball this year? Um, what it does is, you know, you know, schools that decide, hey, I'm going to bring everybody back next year and I'm going to have a roster that's a year more experienced and a year older than the rest of you know, everybody else because you can do that. Mm-hmm. But it means that freshmen are coming in and all of a sudden now have a depth chart that's 20% deeper that they have to climb. And, uh, it, and you know, the, you have scholarship limits. Yep, so, the, so they're, they're doing some waivers to scholarship limits maybe for next year, um, you know, kind of bumping it up a little bit. Someone's got to pay for the scholarships. Uh, athletic departments are strapped for cash more than ever because they can't sell tickets because they're not going to have as many games as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, God forbid, you know, for some of the smaller schools that, you know, they're not on TV as much. Um, if you're a small college basketball program, you need your out of conference season to go to earn buy games, um, to go, to go, you know, let the, the ACC and the big 12 schools pay you to come to their schools um, you know, cash a, a check for a few hundred thousand dollars, which pays for scholarships for your, right. you know, not just best, but so all of a sudden now you're saying, you know, schools are, are operating in the red and you're going to what add scholarship burden to their athletic department, uh, mm-hmm. balance sheets. Um, UVA is probably going to say, you know, just because the NCAA says football team, you can have more than 85 players or basketball team. You can have more than 13 we're only going to pay for 85 or 13. So you guys figure that out. And I imagine a lot of schools are going to do the same. Um, at UVA, I, I expect most kids who otherwise would have aged out are just going to continue to age out just to prevent that backlog and to keep the freshmen moving in. There might be some exceptions if there were injuries or if a guy maybe did a COVID opt-out like on the football team mm-hmm. where Mike Hollins... Um, a couple other guys are are taking the year off because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they get some relief, and the, the school decides to give them an extra year. But I, you know, for the basketball team, you know, you say, hey, could we see Jay Huff for a, a sixth year? I doubt it. I think he's going to go pro. The guy is married. He wants to get out of here. I think he likes college, but I think he's going to mm-hmm. go pro. Same thing with Sam Hauser. Even if they're not a projected first round draft pick, um, I expect they're just going to move on. Um, you know, maybe they go to the G League, maybe they're second round pick, maybe they go international. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Those those two guys, I think, are just going to um, this time next year be playing pro ball, even even with the option to come back to UVA. Uh, Tomas Woldetensai is the question mark. Frankly, I just, I mean, we'll see if maybe he surprises this year. I think he's just going to play his senior year and, and call it too. Maybe there'll be some special circumstances down the road for some of the younger guys. I mean, could we see a fifth year from Kihei? Could we see a fifth year from, you know, I mean, again, you know, look at Carson McCorkle. He right. could play this year. And maybe that's really, I think that's where you see, um, if let's say Carson, you know, I'm just going to throw him out there as an example, but, you know, not to suggest this is where anyone's going. Let's say he was going to redshirt this year. Well, maybe since it doesn't matter, you let him get some some garbage time. You know, you let him play. You know, if we're blowing out um, Notre Dame, mm-hmm. you know, and you want him to go out there and and run with the with the green team, you know, you can let him do that. But you know, kind of treat it as a redshirt year de facto, but let him get a little bit of PT if he wants it. Um, you know, keep in mind basketball doesn't have the rule like football does where you can play a couple of games in it and keep your red shirt um, basketball says if you play any time at all you burn your shirt uh, but right not this year so maybe yeah that. and then this year it's kind of like a playing red shirt year it could be you know, somebody could use it that way yeah it's, yep. it's interesting um but yeah i hadn't thought about that with with trey murphy and that's that's an interesting angle because when when you look at the roster, there is kind of a kind of a hole there, you know, that that he can fill. That wing spot is wide open. I mean, Jabri Abdurrahim is a highly rated recruit who comes in, who's probably I I would say mo- his game is probably mostly wing forward, two three, but I I would put him mostly as a three, so. You know, okay, that, but again, it's a true freshman. So you've got Murphy's got a couple inches on him and probably a better three-point shot. I I know Jeffrey hit a lot at the NBA 100 camp, but his high school and EYBL statistics that I could find were in the 33 to 36% range as a three-point shooter. So I'm going to trust that more than I am a week The bigger sample size. right. So he's not, you know, he's a he's a reasonable three point shooter, but I think Murphy, I would count on his shot more. So, you know that now that yeah, that it's a free the, the, year, the, you might see Murphy. Yeah, and 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 we're just now getting into the point where they're doing the full team scrimmages, mm-hmm. the full team workouts, and this is this may be a chance for Tony to look at him and say, "Wow, he's better than I thought." Yeah, and. And that three spot, along with the two spot, I mean, those are real question marks we have going into this season. Um, yeah. There's a lot of great hype about UVA right now being a top five team, and I don't necessarily want to dissuade that. I think Tony Bennett's getting a lot of credit for some of the, the top ten teams he's rolled out over the last, what, seven, eight years now um, that he's been doing it. We've got a great point guard in Kihei Clark. We've got a great four and five in Sam Hauser and Jay Huff. Mm-hmm. We've got some great backups at those positions. And Reese Beekman, uh, Justin McCoy, and um, and uh, Francisco Cafaro, and Caden Shudrick, you know, in the post. But those guard spots, we've got question marks, that two and the three. Um, Wolda Tensai played well in spurts last year, but he was streaky. You know, Casey... 
you know, and and um, Statman, we saw their three point percentages. They were very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can't hit threes as a guard in college basketball now, I mean, you might as well not be out there. And then um, you know, for uh, Carson McCorkle and Jabri Abdurrahim, as you know, their first years, first years take time in our system. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense is not easy. Uh, can um, can Reese Beatman play the two, right? Can he play alongside Kihei, or are we only really only going to see him the ten minutes a game that Kihei is catching a breather this year? No, nah, they're um, going to play together a lot. That, yeah, you, I, I expect it. To, you can but, put that in pen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but bottom line is that the two spot and the three spot, we still have very real question marks. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of options for those question marks, and you know, if you take the three returners. Uh, Tomas, Cody, and Casey, and the three freshmen in Reese, Carson, and Jabri. Mm-hmm. That's six options for you know two or three spots we need to fill. Yeah, so, you know, it's a lot like the 2016-17 where you had the three sophomores, I guess juniors, juniors, the three juniors who had been okay as sophomores, and but you know, De- nobody Devin distinguished Hall, themselves. And Darius Thompson. And then you had the three freshmen coming in who were much more highly regarded as recruits in, uh, you know, Hunter, Jerome, and Guy. And it that never resolved itself that year. Yeah, ho- hopefully Tony learned a little bit about, you know, figure out who it's going to be and then just write them. Right. Um, you know, doing the, the revolving door. You know, we, we wound up having something like five guys that year average between six and nine points right and it's the you know there's the experience versus talent philosophical conundrum you know which do you favor and you know so because if your experienced guys don't have the talent of the the younger guys it, it it's very difficult it's it's a coaching challenge it is um yeah i actually got into a debate about this with someone uh this past week comparing this coming year with the 16, 17 season. Um, Cause you know, same as in 17, they had one proven returning veteran guard and that was the point guard, London mm-hmm. Prentice. Now we've got Kihei Clark in that same role. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say I like a lot better about this year versus that year is the, the, the attitudes and the locker room presence. Um, you know, that year got off to a bad start with Austin Nichols who had right. been poisoning that locker room for a year at that point. Um, you know, just being a bad influence on, on other players, um, you know, with his, I don't know what we're allowed to say. So I'll just say his, his off the court habits, um, that, yeah, whatever. Um, but there were some of the veterans as well on that team didn't take the game and the pillars as seriously as they could. Some of those veterans had, had bad attitudes and, um, there wasn't a lot of leadership on that team. The way I think this team has much better leadership has, uh, much better uh, buy-in from the, the top to the bottom of the roster. Right, and, and there was no, we didn't have Jay Huff and Sam Hauser at, at the four and five spots that year. Yeah, um, and and that's the other thing is well, and but we were supposed to have Austin Nichols, right? Who would, would have been arguably the best big man Tony Bennett had ever coached. He um, could defend and to score. And would have completely changed the outlook of that team. Mm-hmm. And of course, that team also had Isaiah Wilkins get ill right. at the end of the year and and be unable to finish the season. Um, you know, everything kind of fell apart. But 
you know, if, if Tony learned anything that from from that season about how to balance your hot shot, highly ranked freshman um, versus maybe some, politely speaking, lower ceiling but experienced veterans, um, you know, we'll see it, and we'll we'll see quickly how the roster shakes out and whether he can he can narrow his mm-hmm. his rotation to, you know, about eight or maybe nine. Tony really does his best when he's got a kind of a top eight right. or so. That he can just go to, and um, yeah, and really, we'll, we'll, mo- you know, most coaches, it, it's usually an eight-man rotation, eight and a half, maybe. Um, yeah, um, that that year we were running, you know, eleven guys at any given time, right. um, maybe ten. Um, I mean, God, he was playing Jared or Jared Reuter, and you know, mm-hmm. for for why? <laughs> why was he playing Jared Reuter? Yeah, I, I, yeah, a lot of people. Still, say so. One of Tony's better coaching jobs, and frankly, I think it was his worst coaching job at UVA. I, I had a lot. I just had a lot of. Yeah, I think he learned a lot from that year. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, he did. And after that year, and then after the uh, UMBC thing, he he definitely he rethought and he he made some adjustments that. Um, and. and you know, it doesn't surprise me. Tony Bennett's the kind of guy that I would expect to do that because he's, you know, the humility. He's he, he's introspective. He'll take a look and and be willing to criticize himself. Where you know, a lot of coaches won't because ego is so big and hubris can can develop. And you know, where a lot of guys won't do that. You know, Tony will. He'll look at himself and and that's one of his strengths. Yeah, and he got that from his father. You know, his father made some major changes during his coaching career. He went from being a, yep. a pressure defense to developing the pack line kind of guy. So, yep. you know, that's that's something that they do. And yep. um, I, so I'm hopefully- very bullish on the season. You know, we I, I raised that sixteen seventy in comparison, and that is an issue that we need to look at and see how he he plays that. But you know, with with Huff and Hauser and Clark, with the three. Where you have a three players like that that you can build a team around, man, that that's a hell of a starting point. It is. Yeah, Hauser will be great. Huff will be great. Um, Kihei's going to be great. And if those three stay healthy, and uh, you know, big if knock on wood, but if they right. stay healthy and and you know they're going to be effective, and you just really need like two of those six guards to step up mm-hmm. to to fill out the starting lineup, and and we should roll. You know, are we going to win the ACC? We'll see. It's a it's a good league this year, and, and we'll get into you know the rest of the ACC. You know, maybe later this month or early next month when we start prepping the season. Just to let everybody know, we're planning to start publishing our basketball season preview uh, uh, the first of November. Um, that might be a little a little ambitious, and with the season not starting until Thanksgiving time, you know that might be a little bit early anyway. But that that's the plan. So we'll talk more hoops next week. Thanks for. Yeah, hopefully, we'll see the um, we'll see the the schedule drop this week. Yeah, On, yeah. Honestly, I think all they're waiting for at this point is the ACC Big Ten pairings. Um, the ACC Big Ten challenge is still. Everyone's saying they're still going to do it. Um, I haven't actually formally seen an announcement from ESPN or the league says we are going to do it. But right. uh, all all the rumors are that you know really they're just trying to iron out who's playing who and where and when. Probably really the only thing holding up at this stage the the schedule release. So in theory, we'll see that this week. Um, I mean, with the schedule, with the season starting in a month, you know, right? You gotta, yeah, they've got to get a season schedule out. So hopefully, we'll have that to talk about next week. 
and we'll have the Miami game to talk about next week and um, take it from there. So thanks All for right, being well, on. Yep, until next week. Everybody, wahoo wah. Eat Miami.